0: On Radio Taiwan International. You're listening to Radio Taiwan International. Coming up
1: this hour, we've got hashtag Taiwan, highlights, and in the spotlight. But as always, we kick off today's program with a brand new edition of Here in Taiwan. Hello and welcome to Here in Taiwan. If you're just joining us now on our recently launched Facebook live stream, today is Wednesday, April 21st. Otherwise, it's now Thursday the 22nd. I'm John Van and joining me here in the studio today, we've got Alison Chen. And we've got Leslie Liao. Hello. Coming up next, we'll be telling you about why Taipei's mayor thinks we need to change a whole bunch of our street names in the city. We'll also be telling you about a controversial tourism tax that has been scrapped at least for this year. And we'll be telling you about why 7-Eleven is offering reusable cups and in-flight meals. All that coming up next. Please stick around. But you guys, I guess Leslie probably is the one of the least amount of problems where street names go because you drive. But I am eternally confused by street names around here um, because they tend to go on for a very long way. And so there tends to be a north road and a south road or an east road and a west road. So, for instance, it'll be Nanjing, West Road, Nanjing, East Road, and I can't keep them all straight. Um, and then they're divided into sections. Our road address system is confusing.
2: It's, uh, yeah, the lanes, the alleys, and then they have the sections. And then, yeah. oh, not even that, but like the floors. Like, Tra- are you on the yeah, third floor? so
1: translating an address like mine into English, uh, it fills up, it's, it often goes over the line when, you, when I'm at a post office. What are you uh, supposed to fill in your address? Yeah, I <laughs> mean, get really long.
2: You, I, I've, I've been to your house. You, it's live, a very, <laughs> you live in a part of town that is notoriously serpentine YB. and. <laughs> It's 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 almost like the tree of life.
1: My address is it takes an enormous amount of space to write.
2: I remember uh, trying to find your house, and uh, luckily easy. you got you you found me before you know there was a dog uh, that yeah. almost chased it, it, me. It,
1: well, let's say that for the first three months I lived there, it took me a hard time to find. So street names here are confusing, yeah. And our mayor thinks we need to change them, not because they're too complicated, though. It sounds like
2: well, apparently because um, last time I learned something, which was when they came to Taipei, what they did was they overlaid a map of China on Taipei on a map of Taipei and they're just like that's how that's how we're gonna name the streets we're gonna name the streets after major cities
1: because they are a lot of mains thoroughfares in the city are named after Chinese geographical locations or cities or provinces in some that's right Um, so when the KMT came in 1949 that was right they just took the pre-existing Japanese map and and just
2: they just they just slapped send. a big old Chinese map, a, a map of China on there. and So they're whatever just like, is on.
1: So is it is that really how it works? I
2: that, that's what I remember. That's what they so said in Taiwan Insider.
1: Eastern Chinese cities and provinces will be on the east side of the city and so forth.
2: That sounds about right. Yeah, I just they seem random. to but me But the thing is that some of those main thoroughfares are so long that it's it's is it really on the eastern side or were they're they divided just like, into.
1: So yeah, they will have nine, you know, um, I don't know. Something East Road, something West Road. Yeah,
2: yeah. So I don't know how they got to that, but Koizumi was just like, "This is contradictory right now." He's our just, mayor? yeah, he's just like, "This is." We're trying to kind of differentiate uh, right now in this political atmosphere between Taiwan and China. Yet, all of our streets are still named after Chinese cities. For example, right. Ningxia, they have a, a Tibet Road, they have a Beiping Road, which is what they used to call Beijing. Mm-hmm. We have a Nanjing Road, Nanjing, Tianjin, Chang'an, and then. um he was just like for Taiwanese who grew up in Taiwan, the, the newer generation, they're just like that. Really confuses them.
1: I don't know. I think that it's just uh, a a product of its time when the the party that it, uh, you know overlaid this map and made these decisions called was the Chinese Nationalist Party. They considered yeah. themselves Free China. So and
2: apparently, uh, well,
1: since then, Cohen
2: says it says uh, that time has passed.
1: Right, a distinctively Taiwanese identity that kind of ignores the rest, uh, uh, has sort of grown up since then. And he
2: actually pointed out something kind of funny. Like I said, Beiping is an old road for Beijing, and that's where the DPP headquarters are. Really? Yeah, so he's just like, I think it's strange that the headquarters of a political party that claims to be the most local is on Beiping East Road. So
1: Chinese place names are all over the place in Taipei, and there are road names. What does he propose changing them to instead? Because that sounds like a big overhaul project that will cause lots of confusion.
2: There was no real... um, Proposal, But he was just like, this is something that needs to change. He says "Uh, he wants to tr- change him to like things that are representative of the Taiwanese spirit. Now, what that means is, I don't know. Yeah, I guess, we're going
1: to end up with Fried Chicken Road. Oh,
2: that'd be, <laughs> I would, I would walk down Fried Chicken Road. <laughs> Bubble uh, Tea Lane. Jade Mountain Road, maybe Taroko Road.
1: Uh, we do have one notable change that has been made. The former long-lived Chiang Kai-shek Road uh is now Katagalan Boulevard. Oh, right, right, right. Uh which is a, the name of an indigenous group that formed, that lived in the north of Taiwan. So yeah. we are localizing our names to an extent, but it's a very small Slowly
2: extent. but surely. Um but this is just a proposal for, by Cohen's um because he's the mayor of Taipei City. He's just like this is just something that needs to happen. For me though, I think the signs just need to unify on they need to Agree on a a, a letter of uh, a type of romanization.
1: That is true. I think that's not a problem in Taipei, where I think they've chosen the Pinyin standard. That standard in them in China. Yeah. Uh, In the in southern and uh, central parts of Taiwan, where people want to not use the the communist developed romanization system, um, they can they invent their own systems. But
2: they just have some of the most interesting spellings, and
1: sometimes. you'll go along the road and the spelling will change as you go because they're, they're inconsistent with one another. Yeah. The same road can be spelled three different the ways. S- well,
2: the same characters in Chinese language can Stays be the interpreted same. into... Three different romanizations, right? right?
1: They, yeah, they are very inconsistent about it.
2: Jen mm-hmm. says, Beef Noodle Soup Road. I mean, I'm not against that. I'm not against that. Uh, let's see, what else she says? She says, A few months ago, I decided to do some Google spying and see if I could find my old pen pal's address on Street View. It took me a while to figure out on the streets and lanes and the different romanizations. Yonghe City in the 90s, Yonghe with an H-E in the 2020s. Really? Is that true?
1: Yeah, it used to be spelled differently. Huh. But I found it used to be Young Ho. now it's Yong He, which is the Chinese standard. And,
2: I have no idea. You um, see, that's what drives me nuts.
1: Yeah, they can't really make up their mind. And to the average everyday person who just uses Chinese characters, it's all the same. It doesn't make any difference. Yeah. But,
2: <laughs> We're left so, here scratching our heads. Yeah, uh,
1: Yeah. well, I don't know. Not a necessarily bad idea. Just as probably an expensive and confusing one. <laughs> Well, there was talk about this in the before times it's hard to remember now um the offlying Ponghu islands which are in the taiwan strait a bit to the west of the main island of taiwan right. we're talking about imposing a tourism tax because tourists uh cause for all the money they spend do tend to cause problems like they said that so many people were showering at once i think it was that the water pressure was inconsistent unstable it's, yeah there're just too many people there so there was a proposal maybe a a year or two ago, even I don't remember now. To tax p- arriving tourists.
2: So this is this happened th- over the COVID nineteen pandemic, and what happened was uh, because international travels shut down, right? People can't leave. Right. The closest thing people can get to a vacation is going to Penghu, right? At least you got on the plane. Yeah,
1: there are, there are flights there.
2: Yeah, and um, what happened was because Penghu became suddenly became this hot new destination. There was a huge influx of uh, of tourists. And uh Penghu said uh year on year their tourism rose by thirty seven percent.
1: Wow. There were a lot of people when I was there years ago, well well before COVID, so I can't imagine now.
2: Yeah. And um, um they were just say they were saying that uh they were mulling a tourist surcharge because the Penghu County government is just like all you Taiwan proper people are coming over and using the resources that we have. We're not
1: really equipped for this. Well, I mean, it is a place where, uh, you know, they have to generate their own power and, uh, you know, like I said, water pressure if everyone flushes the toilet at once. Yeah, can you (laughs) imagine what that would happen? (laughs) So for locals, it does cause some headaches. Also, there is in some areas pretty bad traffic crowding, with scooters especially.
2: Have you ever been to Penghu? I have. Okay, how was that?
1: Um, Have you been?
2: I have not. Really? Yeah.
1: Um, Like I said, uh, it's definitely a place you need your own wheels to get around. Okay. Also, uh, don't be dumb like me. The boats to other islands only leave once a day. Oh! So, I missed them all and I was just kind of stuck in an area that I could walk around where there wasn't much going on. It was kind of boring. Oh. But uh, if you have your own set of wheels and don't mind uh, the occasional traffic jam, it's not bad.
2: Yeah, and then um, this comes off uh, hot on the heels of um, what they call the Fireworks Festival in Penghu, which is an
1: annual event not to be confused with the fire festival. No, no. Oh, no, 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 <laughs> no. no. We want to
2: stay away from that the, um, that kind of branding,
1: right? Um, I was I I saw the fireworks show. It was actually uh, impressive as far as fireworks shows go. I have to say. Why is Punk getting known for fireworks? Or they, is, they've been doing it for years every summer. And is it's, that a, right? it's a nightly show pretty much. No idea.
3: i for like before. And then what I think it's, it's the first time first time they held that event.
1: Oh, the fireworks
3: festival? Yeah, yeah the they've Firework had fireworks festival.
1: How long ago was that? That was years, about at least yeah. twenty years, I think. It's been going really? on for a very long time. I was there six years ago, and it was there. It was there. Yeah. I mean, so there's a lot of things to see and do there. Obviously, uh, so why why have they decided now against uh, in this year of the of you know such unprecedented traffic to well, not impose the surcharge? It sounds like I, a bonanza.
2: I mean, there were people just uh, a lot of backlash, right? They were just like, "Well, how are you going to impose this tourism tax on us when mm. you know we're all part of the same same country?" And uh, the fireworks festival is coming on right now and they kind of have, um, they've monitored the situation and they are kind of like getting used to it. They've expanded uh, ferry capacity by 30%.
1: Hard to get a ticket. Hard to get a ticket. Hard to get a ticket.
2: So if you go there now with your seasoned experience, John, I'm sure you'd know how to get a ticket though.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's not difficult, but it is kind of though. And now they (laughs) have about uh,
2: 20,000 hotel rooms per night. And I think there was just, they just need an, an adjustment period. Uh, to get used to all this So influx. many people.
1: So many people. There were so many people, like I said, six years ago. So I really can't imagine now. Oh, how- in the
2: time of COVID?
1: I, I have no when idea. No one can go anywhere else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it just must be so... I old. mean, everyone who would have gone to Thailand and the Philippines and Vietnam and all those other beachy destinations, Pungu is the only option Yeah, now, This, Palau,
2: this doesn't mean there's no tourism tax, but they said, we will monitor the situation to determine a fee policy and it would affect a lot of people and requires thorough deliberation. I, and that's coming mm. from... Uh, the Pungu County Government.
1: I bet that probably gets tacked on to your ticket, either airfare or because there are departure taxes in other countries, and they just tack it onto your airfare, don't they? I have no idea. If you ever look at when you book a ticket abroad, uh-huh. they're always like airport departure tax. Oh, so I I never. That. Yeah, you get you you that gets sent on to you. You don't pay it directly though; it's part of your ticket. I, I never imagine, looked
2: that closely, John. I imagine
1: that's probably what how they're going to be able to enforce that. Huh? Uh, yeah, I, I don't think they were planning on. Um, making it that big of a tax, though per person, it was so, supposed
2: to be like I think well, I heard it was less than 100 NT, which is, is it's less than less three dollars. $3, yeah, it's yeah. not bad. It's not. It's not that bad. It really it, isn't. You
1: know, spare a thought for the people's water pressure, the local people. <laughs> <laughs> They say that Taiwan 7-Eleven has everything, everything you could think of. I've seen uh, One Near Me has a bookstore inside of it.
2: Oh, yeah, I've seen those.
1: There's one that I've seen, uh, a different convenience store chain that has a dancing robot. What? Yeah, a robot to welcome guests. Um, I've seen ones that have, you know, automated ice cream machines They've got everything. Have you seen the one
2: with the beer tap inside? Yes. Okay, they're just checking. I
1: have I have partaken if, of that many times. If anybody tap needed to know beer. about
2: that, it's you, John, so uh, I just want to make
1: sure. Unfortunately not near where I live. But they 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 keep coming up when you think they can't come up with anything else with something else. And this time, oh goodness, we are so longing to travel again. You know the experience of, of of having our borders open and being able to fly the friendly skies to the point where they're now offering get this in-flight meals as though anyone missed in-flight meals.
2: One hundred and ten percent, they are offering. Star, <laughs> uh Well, 7-Eleven is a partnering with Starlux Airlines, which, to be fair, it's supposed to be a luxury airline, It's a
1: bit ritzy. Yeah, and
2: they're uh, they're partnered with like Michelin starred restaurants to offer you like finder dining experiences. But I don't know how much. A Michelin starred meal in the air can be like can be compared to it's what you can get. It's a microwave meal.
1: It is a microwave meal. <laughs> very true, very true.
2: So it's just that that's what's going on. Like um, I don't know what to make of it. Like people are missing. The thrill of flying so Eating much that they're willing to eat airplane food, food when airline food was just the butt of every joke, right? Know, it was always it's always like, just what's like, what's the deal with the the airline food? <laughs> exactly? Um, and now it's,
1: what's the deal with us? We're buying it apparently.
2: Among the offerings are roast pork rice, Thai milk tea, oolong ice cream with chocolate chips, and whatever VDS carrot juice is. I'm not sure what that what, mm. what VDS is. Carrot juice. Um, yeah, so this is, Starlux apparently initially worked with a restaurant chain called Hutong, and they were recognized by Michelin in some capacity, and, um, you know, they, they, I, I guess Starlux was just like, we gotta do something with all these airplane meals.
1: I guess they're not flying very many people very many places, so repackage them as Seven Eleven meals, yeah. there you go, people will buy them from the frozen food section.
2: And, and, uh, we got another story about something happened in Taoyuan in the 7-Elevens, yeah, what's going well, on in The 7-Elevens
1: there are going yeah. eco-friendly.
3: Yeah, Taoyuan City Hill
4: corporate with
3: 7-Eleven. So you can rent um, Echo Cup in 7-Eleven. And you will get some discount Ooh. if you rent the Echo Cup to reduce the single-use cup. Because tomorrow is the word Earth Day. Oh, oh it's really today.
1: Ooh, I forgot about that.
2: <laughs> right, the 22nd is Earth Day, right? Yeah. So um, I guess, so how much is it going to cost to
1: rent the cup? They didn't say, but... I think it's for free. So why would you?
3: You can you can just rent,
1: rent it for free. Rent a cup for coffee, or what is it for? Because there are a lot of uh, coffee being served at Seven Eleven. That yeah, is coffee, true. Coffee,
5: milk tea, chocolate milk tea.
1: So you just rent it, and I guess they wash it. I wouldn't. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. The beer place that you mentioned that has tap beer. Yeah. Does have actual frosted mugs that they do do do. rinse and wash out for you afterwards at
2: a convenience store like who would have known I
1: can imagine that this uh, initiative in Taoyuan it's probably something similar right You, you use it once but you don't throw it away you give it back to the cashier and they wash it for you
2: yeah, that's got. It. I mean, that's that's a good Earth Day, Earth Day initiative. Anything. Oh,
1: another Seven Eleven thing: hot panini toast. That's the new. You saw that, right? I've seen those hot panini toast. That's another new thing they've come out with. The, so. Those look like the
2: Tower of Terror at Disneyland. It's <laughs> like they, they they put it up on this top hall thing, and then as it makes the sandwich, makes it w- its way down. It becomes toasted like a panini somehow.
1: Yeah, it is a pretty cool process to watch. Um, as much as I love the innovations here, I'm not sure I could be. I could be. You could convince me to buy a airline meal though. A a a, a rinseable <laughs> cup. I think that's reasonable. Yeah. Um. Because I drink a lot of coffee at convenience stores, but airline food is taking. Are a Are you a coffee co- guy? Yeah. That's oh, nice. I'm, not, not, I'm. I don't really
2: uh hear you getting in on the coffee conversation at work.
1: Well, I'm not like a, This is a single bean, double roasted arabica. Oh, we don't really do that. Special. It's <laughs> from the Highlands of Ethiopia. No, so oh, I I I I don't I, differentiate. Uh, a, I just drink whatever swill they give me <laughs> but yeah airline meals uh, a bit of a step too far however i must say that i what i would not object to is airport food taiwan the one thing that we do well when it turns comes to cuisine and air travel is our airport has some really nice food i always enjoy my final meal in taiwan before i go there what well. do you usually get what's your go-to um there's a Special Food Court, and I think it's Terminal 2, I want to say, and they have all of these very nicely prepared Taiwanese specialties. Like, it's not—when I come home the other way around, back to Taiwan, I usually skip it. I'm just, like, (laughs) just some, like, sad sandwich. Basement. (laughs) Or, like, a— Wilted piece of lettuce. Oh, is it? Is
2: it in the basement The, the one in the basement or yeah. on the second floor?
1: Um, I think it's in the second floor.
2: Okay, I, n- I know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, then, yeah, yeah.
1: So yeah, we do good airport food. I would buy. I would definitely buy that from Seven Eleven, but not a not a, not the in-flight meal now. Speaking of Earth Day and being eco-friendly, I don't know if you are familiar with the Taiwanese uh, beer brand, Taihu Brewing. They also have some very lovely tap houses here.
2: It's very hard not to know them at this point.
1: They're nice. Um, uh, a bit high alcohol content for my like, my taste, but I do appreciate them. They're a bit pricey, but, uh, and, uh, you know, a pleasant environment. Mm-hmm. Um, one of their tap houses here in Taipei for Earth Day has unveiled art... New artwork, completely they've redecorated the place, and it's all made from ocean trash. Oh, wow. Wow. So we have to often talk on this program about how much people in Taiwan love to clean up our beaches, volunteering, you know, to pick up the nets and... You know, bits of bottles and broken glass off the beaches. That's a pretty popular way to spend a day volunteering here. But then, what do you do with it? Because doesn't it just end up instead of in the oceans in a dump? It,
2: or just so, kind of finds a way, its way back to the yeah, ocean? Maybe.
1: Um, but the, the the solution the owners of this this bar have come up with is using well more than a dozen items, including uh, let's see, recycled fishing nets, plastic, and nylon bags hauled out of our seas to make. A lot of very interesting artworks, including a surfboard. I don't know how they made a surfboard out of all that stuff. Wow,
2: I see a jellyfish.
1: Yeah, um, and it's all marine-themed. They added a little, like, driftwood thatch and some bamboo baskets to give it a kind of a beach bum sort of a vibe. Mm Mm-hmm um but yeah this is in our uh Simanding uh Driftwood Simanding that's the name of the bar oh. and yeah the colorful jellyfish you mentioned are also made from beach detritus although it doesn't say what kind this new decor is part of a collaboration between the bar and a group called which i didn't know we have it's called Thai Wonderful Recycle Company <laughs> <laughs> i like that which is established by two foreign residents here who love surfing on the east coast and so obviously care about marine you know in the marine environment and uh, the health of our oceans so uh they have using their craft skills which uh, I admire them. I w- I failed at kindergarten crafts even. Would... <laughs> uh, <laughs> these, yeah. these people are like taking real serious marine trash and turning it into uh decor that actually makes you feel like you're at a beach sort of tiki lounge.
2: I am I am pro. I uh I think um I think ocean waste is one of the one of the more um pressing issues that we don't really get a lot of attention because we don't really see it.
1: There's some... Why don't you uh, link it to our yeah. our uh, live streams? Of our I sent it out connected.
2: there, and then um, the, the the picture of the jellyfish that fascinated me is right in there.
1: But what about they used to make it.
2: Um, is it? Like plastic bags? It looks like fishing nets or nets of some
1: sort, but I'm not sure what that top is. It's, that it's very creative. It looks like a p- plastic sheeting, maybe. It do look. Li- it does look like I mean, a jellyfish. Better though. in the walls as art than in the stomachs of various sea creatures, right? It,
2: it does look like a tiki bar, though. I must I know, say it's this fancy. this redesigned uh, bar. It does look like a tiki bar.
1: And they did this just for Earth which as we mentioned is well, depending on when you're listening either tomorrow or today
2: yeah and I think uh, Earth Day is something that we need everybody needs to be uh, yeah, aware of uh, yeah I use too much plastic I mean I'm trying to reduce but at the same time sometimes I don't think it's your fault it's just like if you want to get like a sandwich it still you comes with all not, that plastic cellophane you
1: can't not you can't there's no no I don't want that option yeah, <laughs> bu-
2: buying buying uh, any kind of vegetable plastic uh, packaged meats you know you got the styrofoam and the plastic it's 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 mind-boggling, and then the guilt I feel for mm. putting that much waste back in the ecosystem. I
1: definitely, yeah. I don't think that like, and I don't think that like biodegradable plastics are as big of a deal here as they are elsewhere.
2: I'm so. not sure. They they do try and implement biodegradable plastics, but I saw a news story the other day about how they're using the wrong kinds, and Taiwan doesn't have the conditions to induce.
1: We don't have the conditions, yeah. to make the plastic break down, or uh, to produce that kind of plastic, or,
2: or or to make the plastic break down. What are we too wet? It's, it's it, too I think damp? it's too wet, and then we don't. And then if we wanted to artificially induce those conditions, we don't have the infrastructure in place yet. Oh. So it needs to be in like like certain now, temperatures and stuff like that. And
1: I also read a thing about you know those uh, disposable cups that are supposedly made out of paper but uh Supposedly. they can, they have a plastic coating on them often and th- I, this was a taiwanese report and it says that our recycling facilities can't use that they just get th- they tuck it out of the pile no don't
2: tell me that
1: cuz it has a thin plastic don't sort of, you tell know like me Dixie that, cups John. that sort of a thing yeah 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 so yeah a lot of things we can we can do our best that's all we can do but, I, yeah. but like i said uh, better on the walls as artwork uh,
2: than in the in the landfills in the
1: garbage I bet you this stuff could sell for millions of dollars at a show. and Just be like, oh, if you, if you go to the right <laughs> place, I,
2: I, I, I'm, I'm right, <laughs> Those I'm right very with you all. Put it next to a Jackson Pollock being yes. like,
1: next, our next item. Oh, I really sense the postmodern angst of <laughs> this work. All right, well, that just about does it for today's edition of Here in Taiwan. Thanks so much to everyone who joined us and left a comment. I'm John Van Trieste. I'm um, Leslie Bao. Don't go anywhere just yet. Up next, it's hashtag Taiwan highlights and in the spotlight. The top
2: of the top Hello and welcome to Hashtag Taiwan, I'm your host Leslie Liao, thank you for joining me. Every week in this show, we take a look at some of the hottest online trends going on in Taiwan, whether it's social media stories, the news hashtag, or maybe just news that's trending online. This week though, we're going to take a look at a revival of a story that I did around this time last year actually. It's called the Milk Tea Alliance, and it's a collective of online netizens that came together to oppose Chinese oppression. It's seen a revival recently because of the coup in Myanmar, and actually recently, on Twitter, they released an official emoji for the Milk Tea Alliance. That's what I'm diving into this week, so be sure to stick around and listen up. And if you're a Twitter user, make sure you go and check out that story and use the emoji. Without further ado, here's the return of the Milk Tea Alliance. Milk Tea! It's delicious. Everybody loves it. It comes in many flavors. What's not to love about milk tea? Democracy! It's fair. Everybody loves it. It comes in many flavors. What's not to love about democracy? I asked Andrew Ryan if I could say that last bit, and he said, why not? We live in some strange times. At no point in human history have we ever had the answer to the question, excuse me, can you point me to the intersection of milk tea and democracy? In 2021 though, we have an answer. It's called the Milk Tea Alliance, baby. What's the Milk Tea Alliance, you ask? Check out last year's hashtag coverage on it. It's one of our most popular segments on YouTube and the comments keep asking me if countries like India, Malaysia, and the Philippines can join as if I had a say in the matter. The more the merrier is what I say. Imagery and the symbolism of the Milk Tea Alliance was largely community-based, but that all changed last week. On April 8th, the Twitter Public Policy Twitter account tweeted, You try and say that one five times fast. It tweeted, Today, we are launching an emoji for the Milk Tea Alliance, an online solidarity alliance first started in April 2020 as a Twitter meme, which has grown into a global pro-democracy movement led by activists and concerned citizens in Hong Kong, Thailand, Taiwan, Myanmar, and around the world. Can I just say, the inclusion of the Taiwan flag here brings a tear to my eye. We barely ever see the flag anywhere else, not even at the Olympics. The tweet says, To celebrate the first anniversary of the Milk Tea Alliance, we designed an emoji featuring three different types of milk tea colors from regions where the alliance first formed online. It automatically appears when you tweet any of the hashtags below. And as you can see from the gif, the emoji will appear anytime you write hashtag Milk Tea Alliance in a variety of languages. Another tweet says, We have seen more than 11 million tweets featuring the Milk Tea Alliance hashtag over the past year. Conversations peaked when it first appeared in 2020, and again in February 2021 when the coup took place in Myanmar. Below, that's a heat map of the world showing the frequency of hashtag Milk Tea Alliance mentions. If you ask me, it kind of just looks like Boba appearing and disappearing all over the world map. Tweet away, y'all. I myself am having a grand old time with the emoji. Who knew the Milk Tea Alliance would grow to be this popular? Actually, you know what? Judging by how much people love milk tea around the world in general, I'd say it was a no-brainer. And that just about does it for this week's Hashtag Taiwan. I do hope you enjoyed that episode. And if you're on Twitter, don't forget to use Hashtag Milk Tea Alliance. And if you're in Southeast Asia, try it in your own language and see if the emoji pops up. Anyway, I for one, like I said, am having a great time using the emoji and if you'd like to find me on Twitter and you're on Twitter, make sure to follow me at Angry Taiwan Men. no spaces, AngryTaiwanMen. You know, I'm not that angry. I'm kind of happy. Anyway, you guys, on there, you're going to see, well, most of what you can see on our Facebook page and our YouTube channel, which are news features and episodes of Taiwan Insider, which is the weekly news magazine that hashtag Taiwan is a part of. If you'd like to see more and if you would like hashtag or if you like hashtag, I should say, you should always check out our YouTube channel or our Facebook page. Our YouTube channel is RTI English and our Facebook page is Taiwan Insider. Anyway, guys, until next week, stay safe, stay happy, and stay healthy. I'll talk to you again soon. See you around.
0: Big news this week, Taiwan is allowing more people to get COVID vaccinations.
6: Let's start by taking a look at some of the people who got their jabs earlier this week. Don't worry, this won't hurt a bit. Taoyuan Mayor Zheng Wen-tan rolls up his sleeve to get the AstraZeneca COVID-19 vaccine early on Monday morning. It comes as authorities expand eligibility for vaccination.
2: Zheng
6: says he got the jab to raise public confidence in the vaccine. He says he wants to show that it's safe and effective. Central Epidemic Command Center officials Chen Yen and Loi Jun also got vaccinated on Monday. Law says that the AstraZeneca jab is only half the volume of a flu vaccine dose. That means that it's less painful. He says he feels perfectly fine after getting the shot. Law suffers from diabetes, so he made sure to check his blood sugar beforehand. Right now, Taiwan has over 300,000 vaccine doses. From Monday, groups two and three on the priority list can get vaccinated. That includes pandemic prevention officials and people in high-risk professions, like pilots. That's about 125,000 more people than before. One pilot says he hopes authorities can ease quarantine requirements for people who've got the vaccine. He says a year of restricted travel and quarantine has had serious mental and physical effects. He hopes authorities can adjust the rules so vaccinated people can live more normal lives.
4: And from today, priority group four can get vaccinated. That includes diplomats and athletes representing Taiwan, not us yet.
0: No, I'm not an athlete (laughs) representing Taiwan. Now, starting on April 21st, if you're traveling abroad, you may also be able to pay for a vaccination. Uh, Now this is for people who are traveling for work, for school, uh, for medical reasons, or for humanitarian reasons, and I hear it's pretty inexpensive.
4: It's only 600 NT, about 20 US dollars, not too bad. And the vaccine we're giving out here in Taiwan right now is the AstraZeneca vaccine, and I know some people have questions about that. We'll be telling you more about that vaccine in today's Taiwan Explained. There's been a lot of news about the AstraZeneca vaccine lately lead due to recent trials and blood clot cases. And we're going to try to make sense of that for you today. Vaxevria is one of the names of the AstraZeneca vaccine. On March 25th, the company released results of a U.S. trial of over 32,000 people that found it was 76% effective in preventing symptomatic COVID-19 and even more effective for older people.
0: And it was 100% effective in preventing severe cases and hospitalization. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Shirley Lin with In The Spotlight.
3: Welcome to In The Spotlight, I'm Shirley Lin. Now today my guest is Alicia Chen. She's a journalist covering all sorts of international issues, And uh, she actually reports for the local media as well as, you know, international media. So um, let's meet Alicia. Hi, Alicia.
5: Hi, Shelley. And then uh, hi, everyone. Thanks Mm. for having me today. Yeah,
3: thanks. Thanks for coming over after work. I think uh, someone I interviewed before said I've got to interview you. And I think the issue that really jumped out at me is that you're a journalist who really cares about refugee issues around the world. Why is that? Is it something about your character or something that you, I don't know, encountered when you were younger or something like that?
5: I can say that it was the time when I um, was doing an exchange student program in Spain. So I that was the, the first time I lived abroad. It was 2016. Um, at the time that... Um, the European refugee issues to just hit a deadline. I right. get a lot of uh, global attention. And I was in Spain and I feel like uh, that was my first time to hear the, the, the term refugees. Um, So I started exploring, you know, reading more news, doing some research, but I still feel that the issues that are far away from, from, from my my experience and my my background um until i met a person uh in in spain um he worked as a shave on a refugee rescue boat uh at the mediterranean and he he works for the uh, doctor without borders as um and international NGOs and who, uh, focus on like humanitarian, um, assistance and, uh, medical, um, yeah, mainly medical assistance. And so I was amazed by his work and also was really shocked at what he experienced when he worked on the boat. Mm -hmm. Um, so I got a chance to, um, uh, to to get out on a boat, uh, while uh, it's disembark uh, in Spain. So I interviewed a crew on the boat, and then um, in Spanish. In Spanish and in English, <laughs> I have to say, my Spanish is not, not that good, and, uh-huh. um, but uh, uh, I mean, I can still manage to to interview a couple of people there, uh, especially those who can't really speak English to me. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And so I was there, I was on a boat for three days. I didn't meet any refugees at that time when I was there. I only talked on the to, boat. On a boat. I was there with the crew. Yeah. yeah. But that was already um, a big thing for me. I was really young. I was not a reporter. I, I haven't graduated from the university.
3: Wait a minute. Yeah. You were not a reporter yet.
5: No, no. Yeah. You kind of just did it out of curiosity or something? I just feel like I should do something for this. I feel like um, I know that there not so many people, especially people from Taiwan, had this experience to True. literally being on that boat and the refugee rescue boat so I was like I was thinking that like what what I can do and and that's why I feel like okay I want to write a story I want to cover a story and I started contacting the um editors in Taiwan and Hong Kong just to see if uh, they are interested in this story uh-huh. Um, fortunately, and I got a chance to do my first story uh, for one Hong Kong-based media outlet, mm-hmm. and they they cover a lot of international issues mm-hmm. um, in in Mandarin. So I, I was in Hong Kong and then talked to the editor and saying that uh, I want to cover this and let me you know go back to to Europe and and then to to do more you know this to do to interview more people and then to like uh, actually to let me uh, meet refugees and the crew.
3: So your very first report you've ever written was actually in Chinese. Yes, it's in
5: Chinese, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah.
3: Um, This is amazing because I mean you were an exchange student in Spain studying... It wasn't (laughs) journalism, it was not journalism. It's industrial design. (laughs) Excuse me? Industrial design? Wait a minute. Okay. Before this interview, you were telling me that you studied at Qingdaa University here in Taiwan in economics. Yes. Then it was from Qingdaa that you went on an exchange program to Spain and you studied industrial design? Yes. A totally different field. Yes. (laughs) And then while you were there, you became interested in reporting about this refugee boat. Yes. And so after this you decided to become a journalist, right? Yeah. Oh, so many twists and turns in your life.
5: Exactly, yeah. So you know, you don't points. you don't look
3: like that kind of person, just <laughs> from the look of you. But actually inside of you is like, you know, you can't wait to burst out or something like that. You know, you've got all these things that you care about. So when you met this friend in Spain, you know that he works on this refugee boat. Without hesitation, you just went with him and got in this boat for three days and reported about it. Yeah. And then you would turn around and, and call up all these media sources and ask if they want your story.
5: Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would probably uh consider more like, you know, details and um, a bunch of issues or whatever. But at that time, I was like, uh, wow, <laughs> uh, I need to I need to do something for this because I really care about that. And I think and though many people think that refugee issues is are like kind of not that close to us, but mm. if you think um, deeper what refugees means, it's actually, you know, um, people who are forced to leave home. Mm. And everybody can understand what home is, right? Mm. And, and so when when you talk about where is your home and then where, where are you from, you know, uh, why you can't go back to your country um oh, and do you miss your home mm-hmm. and then even me living abroad you know i i'm also a migrant, you know but i you know i voluntarily go there to seek a better life it's completely in different situation as what uh refugee actually encounter but we understand uh, the concept of home you know, mm. so when we talk about this and that, really made me feel like I can resonate when I interview people there. Yeah. So after uh, doing the stories about the refugee rescue boat, and then I start um, reporting more issues, uh, more stories on refugee issues. Yeah.
3: So you gave up your industrial design degree.
5: Well, I mean, that's not the degree, because uh, I was like, uh, you know, I was a bit bored of studying economics in the <laughs> university. So I was like, uh, you know, if I do an exchange student program in Spain, what would be the best subjects I, I could learn? Right. And design definitely would be one of them, like art, design, something that you know it be great to 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 learn in spin right that's okay. why i i asked the university if it just can let me change the subject they, they're pretty chill with that they're just like <laughs> Oh yeah, why not? <laughs> so I got a chance. So actually, I produced. Uh, I actually produced my own products that I designed there. I have to go to the um, to, to 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 the factories and use my pool Spanish to communicate with them. <laughs> how to do my products and, and it was a fun uh, experience. Yeah. yeah, it does
3: sound fun. Yeah. So, out of curiosity, if a company were to ask you to do an industrial design project for them, would you be able to?
5: No, I can't. <laughs> I mean, like some people in Spain, they actually want to uh, hire me at that time. I don't know why, like, <laughs> what they were thinking about, but like, they were like kind of giving it over. It was like definitely not. <laughs>
1: You're listening to In the Spotlight with Shirley Lin.
3: What was that one thing that really touched your heart about the refugee issue?
5: One thing that I felt that those refugees, especially refugee youths who are at the same age uh, as me, They become my friends, you know. Um, when I was in in Malta, in the UK, in Lebanon, I met so many amazing people, and they are refugees because they, you know, the uh, they can't really um, be in their country due to some reasons, mm-hmm. um, like either forced to leave because of the war or persecutions. Um, but they are still like amazing human being, mm. and and some of them are musicians, artists, um, architects. So I have a really great time with them and then I think that's a moment that really touched me. Um, I remember when I was in the UK, I was in a ho- uh, um, Halloween party mm-hmm and then um, many people were there students and from different countries and then um, I met one um, classmate and he's from Syria Mm -hmm. and then that was the first time uh, I met him and we started dancing there Mm -hmm. and then we danced and then we chat and then it's like that that's a, a really pure human connection but he was there not because he wants to pursue this semester's degree, it's because that's the only option that he has uh, to leave his country. Um, so that, re- that that's really strike me mm. um, to continue working on these issues. But I think on the other hand, I can resonate a lot uh, as a Taiwanese, um, although I... Like since I was born, I haven't met any uh, issues that will uh, uh, kind of threaten to my safety. Um, I have a really peaceful life and then my family taken you know, take care of me very well. But we always face that this kind of threat, um, that maybe one day we might have to leave our home to. You mm. know? Um, Especially recently, we can see what happened in Hong Kong mm-hmm. um, in 2019. And um, till now, many people have left and then many of them came to Taiwan yep. uh, to seek a safe heaven. Taiwan now as a safe heaven for those Hong Kong refugees. In the near future, mm-hmm. they, the case that we have to seek a safe heaven in uh, other countries. Wow. So that's a way that I feel like I'm so uh, much into this topic, Mm. yeah, because I think everybody kind of like um, have this sense of, I don't know, displaced or loss Mm. of being, feel being home, like, Mm. yeah,
3: so... Yeah, I know, I I really felt, uh, it really hit me hard because I used to live in Hong Kong, you know, for six and a half years, this was when I was in elementary school, but... Um, to think that and you never, never would have thought that one day Hong Kong was gonna become like the way it is now, mm-hmm. you know, and it's kind of sad, it is. So you've made some friends with some of these refugees, and in fact, uh, even though they're dis- displaced, and uh, you still keep in touch with them and everything.
5: Yeah, basically, because, you know, on social media, it's not that difficult to keep in touch with them. And after the outbreak of the pandemic, uh, I had a call with some of them. And I met in in Europe and uh, in Lebanon just to check in, uh, you know, um, check check in with them to know what happened there. Yeah. Well, it's good to
3: know that uh, even though they're refugees, that they still have access to electronics
5: yeah 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 kind of, yeah. <laughs> you can still,
3: yeah you know I mean, get in, i mean keep not, in touch online
5: definitely not all of them yeah okay. uh, as i say that they're used and then they are educated and so they can okay. kind of manage it to you're settle, right. yeah they're actually country. educated
3: young people yeah and they're just being some- displaced because of political reasons or whatever you're right I feel like I sometimes think that refugees equal to poor people.
5: Yeah, I think that's you many know? people that, that think uh, in that way. And, and I think that's also reasonable because that's how most of the media outlays and portrays. That is true. That's the
3: kind of refugees we see yeah. on, in the news.
5: Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
3: Right. But that's not the case. I mean, that's definitely
5: they, part of uh, truth.
3: To me, Alicia Chan has a soft heart. And that's why she wants so much to be the voice for the refugees. Definitely, she let me see more clearly the ignorance in me about political refugees and how much need there is in helping them. Honestly, I don't know what I can do, but letting Alicia voice out her views about the issue, hopefully, is one way of helping her. Do join me next week as she talks more about her refugee reports and her thoughts about it. For In the Spotlight, I'm Shirley Lin.